Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, welcome to Journey. Welcome to the first uh, real big week of Journey here in January. We're starting a brand new series, which I'll talk about in a minute. But something happened a couple weeks ago that made me really think in reference to this new series called Transformed. And, and this is kind of the way it went down. Uh, one of my friends who's a pastor uh, in a larger city, he posted something on one of his social media outlets. And it was the argument that so many people were having, whether to have church on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or when to have church. And there's this real big battle that was going on. It was kind of it was, it was a little bit disheartening. But so he posted something. And I didn't necessarily agree with it, what he was saying. But man, the place wasn't there to kind of kind of reprimand him. But so he posted on a Saturday. This is what really bothered. He posted it on a Saturday. And then Sunday morning, people started kind of going through it. Now, I didn't read it until Monday, but I could realize I was putting timestamps on things that people are literally on their way to church or going to church that Sunday, that Christmas day, and blasting this guy. They were just telling him how wrong he was and how he was a heretic and you know, just because just they didn't have church. And there are arguments on both sides, okay? I'm not here to try to argue about that. But what bothered me most was that it was almost like they were determining spiritual maturity by whether they went to church or not or, or, or maybe what version of the Bible they were using or whether they were gonna celebrate this week. And it made me think about the Bible. And as I read through the Bible, I read through the Old Testament, the New Testament, especially what, what Paul writes, is spiritual maturity has nothing to do with some of those things that we argue about. And, and, and it's, as a matter of fact, he reprimands because sometimes it's a lack of spiritual maturity. And so uh, it, one of the things I want us to get this year, that true spirituality, spiritual maturity, being transformed is marked by Christian character. It's not just knowing what to do, it's actually doing it. And that's what's important. That's what the whole series Transform is gonna be about. A pa- passive scripture that's kind of been resonating is Colossians chapter one, verse nine. It says, so we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's spiritual maturity right there. Then uh, uh, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better. What he's talking about there, spiritual maturity is the fruit that we have in our lives. And it's not about what version of the Bible. It's not about if we go to church on a Sunday. It's about do we know the will of the Father? And what we need, and this is what the next you know, several weeks we're gonna talk about, is we need a transformation in our lives. Um, I love the way Romans chapter 12, verse one says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all the things he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice and the kind that he would find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him, by living that lifestyle, that is what he's saying. He says, don't copy the behavior in verse two and customs of this world, but let let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Okay, transforming of the mind into a new person. Then you will learn to know God's will for for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That Greek word in uh, transform means this. It's the process of being changed into another form, a total change that takes time. Well, what areas of our lives do we need to be transformed? Well, I'll give you the first one. We're gonna talk about this today, our habits, the things we do every day. And we need to learn to stack those things, those habits in, in good ways. We're gonna learn about transformed forgiveness. 
there's ever been a time in history that we need to understand forgiveness, it's right now. And I can't wait to speak about that. We need to learn transform prayer. Big, big, bold prayers. I've been challenging our staff over the last couple of weeks. What are the big prayers for 2023? That we can, at the end of this year, see God answer those big, bold prayers. They need to be transformed. How about our families? How about if God, what would happen if God really transformed, changed the process of changing our families? And how about this? Our finances, giving, generosity, uh, where God could use us, use our finances to further the kingdom. And how about this? How about serving? How about our serve this year? How can God transform our serving? I said it a couple times now, it's a process. When I was growing up, I had a friend named Joey and we would go play baseball in his backyard all the time. And he had this huge apple tree, but it was just intertwined and all the branches were all over the place and the apples weren't very big. And and it wasn't a crab apple tree. It was a real like, you know, like a Red Delicious or a Macintosh, um, but it only had apples that were about the size of a golf ball. And they were always brown and they were hard. And uh, the only thing they were good for, they weren't good for, the, they were good for hitting with a baseball bat and we would hit them with, or we'd throw them at each other when we would play war. Uh, but but years later, I worked at a place that was a apple orchard, and it was in Cream Ridge, uh, New Jersey. And what I learned is how much care an apple tree needs uh, to produce the best fruit. Uh, it wasn't just rainwater; they actually watered them every day. They would, they would, they would, they would prune them, and all the crossing branches. They would take them all back. They would make sure that that there was uh, along the, the the drip line there was fertilizer, and they would stake fertilizer. And it was a twelve month out of the year process. They did that all that time to get that great product, that great that great apple. When you bite into it, you you know you've had a great apple. And that's a process that it takes. It's not just allowing the rainwater to come down and it and it just grows in the wild. It takes time. And in our lives, transformation, being transformed, it takes some time. And so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going to see and ask God to transform us by His Holy Spirit to do something special. And today, what we're going to talk about is the very first steps. And that's the habits, the habits that we make every year. Not resolutions, but habits. So I want you to do me a big favor right now. I want you to give a warm welcome for our campus pastor down at Sherwood that's going to be here live in our Evans campus today. Give it up for Keith Walton. Hey! All right. So excited to be here today as we launch into a new series called Transformed. It is an honor to open this series up for you guys, whether you're watching us online or in the atrium or down at the wood. See you guys next Sunday, uh, my family down there. Um, today's message, though, uh, <clears throat> about habits uh, resonates with me. Uh, a little bit of background about me. I um, was a football coach, basketball coach. So habits and athletics, they kind of go hand in hand, and we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in, a, in a little while. Definition of a habit, of a habit. Something done in a usual, a usual way of behaving, something that a person does often in a regular way and a repeated way. You do it without thinking. So there's two types of habits. There's good habits and there's bad habits. I'm going to start with some bad habits. I got a bad habit. Wait, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I roll over and I pick up this demonic device. <laughs> and I don't check my messages. No. I don't check my emails. Mm -mm. No, I get on social media. Lord, no, I ain't FaceTiming nobody uh, in the morning. Lord Jesus, no. However, I do get on social media. And my social media of choice is not Facebook. It's not Chapstad and Instagram or Twitter. It's Pinterest. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is. I, I admit it. I... <sighs> Hello, church. My name is Keith Walton, and... 
I struggle with Pinterest. I can find myself in a black hole in a minute. Oh, I start out looking at this and somehow I wind up looking at plastic water bottles that they turn into beetles. I don't know why I'm looking at it. I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck. Bad habits. Our spending too much time on our cell phones could be a very bad habit. Another bad habit. Sitting at the dinner table and you have to blow your nose. So you take the napkin and you blow your nose at the table. That's a bad habit. But an even worse habit is when you open the napkin up and you look at it at the dinner table. That is awful. That is awful. Bad habit. Bad habit. Another bad habit. This one I learned early on not to do, but chewing with your mouth open at the dinner table while you're trying to have a conversation and food comes out of your mouth back in your plate. That's an awful habit. Bad habits. I, I can remember doing that growing up and I ended up getting a knuckle sandwich from my mama. I learned how to keep my mouth closed in. But when we try to break these bad habits and replace them with good habits, the good habits don't necessarily come very easy. I know every year there are these uh, ideas of New Year's resolutions, and Bobby says, no, we don't want to make them resolutions. We want to stack on good habits. We want to be habit stacking. Well, so I did uh, some research in 2022. The two top habits that were searched by Google to make habits in your life, ironically, are necessary for your life. Two habits searched all over the world. One was improved sleeping habits. Sleeping habits. Because we're not sleeping like we used to. We go to bed, but we don't actually get rest. So sometimes we actually wake up tireder than we went to sleep. Sleeping habits. The second one, the second most Googled habit that people on earth wanted was hydration. I want to drink the proper amount of water. I want a hydration habit for myself. And you need both of those to have a good and healthy life. But before you can actually have a habit, Bobby mentioned that there's a process to habit. And before it becomes a habit, you got to do it over and over again. And before it's a habit, it's going to be uncomfortable. Before it's a habit, it's going to be inconvenient. And I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when we talk about the three principles that I'm going to share with you today and you go to apply it to your life, it's not going to just be, voila, that's not how it works. You've got to work. So before it's a habit, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be inconvenient. Before it's a habit, you're going to be bad at it. Because if you're good at it, you will already do it naturally. Habits. Before it's a habit, it's going to be an obstacle. Before it's a habit, it's going to be frustrating. Before it's a habit, it's going to be difficult. I'm telling you ahead of time so you can get your mind right. It's not supposed to be just like that. You've got to work the process. And we're going to look at three things, three principles that I think if you can apply them, to your life going into 2023, it's going to make this year the best year ever. There was a study done in 2014. They found out that 40% of people's daily activities are performed out of habit. 40% of the things you do, you do without thinking about it because you've done it so much. An important, an important characteristic of a habit is that it is automatic. We find patterns of behavior that allow us to reach our goals. As followers of Jesus, we may want to reconsider forming these kinds 
of habits, the kind of habits that will draw you closer to God and will draw your neighbor closer to God because of the example of Christ living through you. Three principles that we're going to look at. And the backdrop, the backdrop of God's word that we're going to use is Luke 15, 11, 24. If you've grown up in church at all, you know this story. Extremely familiar. And sometimes God's word is descriptive. It's describing what we need to apply to a life, our life, and how we should live. And sometimes it's prescriptive. Prescriptive like medicine. But medicine only works if you do what? You got to take it. So will you take this word today and apply it to your life so it will transform your life? Luke 15, starting at verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servant, servants have food enough to spare, and, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the opportunity for us to grow closer to you. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, we ask that you open up our ears that we may hear your word, open up our mind that we may understand your word, open up our eyes that we may see your word, open up our mouth that we may speak your word. But more than that, Heavenly Father, open up our heart. Let your word be planted there and grow up a mighty harvest. Your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the first words that we're going to talk about today, you don't actually see it in the text. But there's a lesson that we can learn because it's not there. In Luke 15, verse 12, it says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That may not seem like a big deal, but during this time in the culture, this was extremely disrespectful. I mean, this was extremely disrespectful. Those of you that have children, can you imagine your child coming home to you, looking you eye to eye, standing toe to toe to you and saying, I wish you were dead. Oh, Pastor Keith, don't say that. Oh, no, you got to read the text. What did he ask for? 
He asked for his inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? Somebody has to what? Die. This is horribly disrespectful. But the father loved him enough that he gave it to him. He gave it to him. And as the father gives him this blessing, you know what the son didn't do? Because it's not in the text. He didn't say, thank you. He had no attitude of gratitude. The first word that we need to apply to our lives to make a habit of doing daily without thinking is gratitude. The benefits of practicing gratitude are nearly endless. People who regularly practice gratitude, this is a study done. I ain't making this stuff up. This is a study done. Now, some of this has got common sense, like this first one. You practice gratitude daily, you experience more positive emotions. All right, that's like common sense. I, yep, I can see that. People that practice gratitude feel more alive. You know, you've been around those people. It seems like there used to be this uh, commercial a long time ago. This dude, I think he worked at Dunkin' Donuts, and he would wake up in the morning because he had to go to work, and he went to work, and he would slide his feet across. He goes, time to make the donuts. And then they'll show the next morning, time to make the donuts. And the next morning, time to make the donuts. There's no life in him at all. He was not very thankful for having that job at all. Let me pause there real quick. Some of us forgot when we were unemployed and we prayed for God to open the door for this application that you just sent in. And you said, please, Heavenly Father, if it's your will, give me that job. And then you were granted the job. But today, fast forward, not very thankful. No, that's what we do. That's what we do. And the enemy just comes right in and be like, you know what? They don't appreciate you. Why are you even working there? This is a waste of your time. And that attitude of gratitude that you should have is gone. People that practice gratitude feel more alive. Ooh, people that practice gratitude sleep better. Huh. That kind of makes sense to me. People that practice gratitude express more compassion and kindness. People that practice gratitude daily without thinking have a stronger immune system. They live longer. This idea of gratitude. Now, this scientist that did this, he was a, he was a, a psychiatrist, psychologist from University of California. Uh, his name was Robert Edmonds, and he did this particular study. And as I'm reading this thing, uh, express more positive emotions, feel more alive, sleep better, express more compassion and kindness, you have a stronger immune system, I'm like, Doc, you ain't have to do a study for that. All you had to do was go to Philippians 4.8. All this is outlined. Don't believe me? I'm going to read it to you anyway. Here you go. <laughs> and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The young, the guy that I'm talking about, that was time to make the donuts, he ain't thinking about those things at all. Matter of fact, it's like he's dragging something. His life's miserable. 
He's not gracious or thankful or he's not thinking on those things that are honorable or pure or lovely or admirable. He does not have an attitude of gratitude. Can we stack that, this attitude of gratitude for the next couple of months as Bobby comes and gives us the message? Can we stack this attitude of gratitude? Can we leave out of here and make it to the car with an attitude of gratitude? Man, if you can inhale and fill your lungs up with oxygen and you're breathing, you should have an attitude of gratitude. And here's the thing. Justin Martin just walked off stage leading us through praise and worship. You can't praise if you don't have an attitude of gratitude. Now, you can be reverent. You'll stand up and you'll fold your arms. But your mouth look like you've been eating lemons. Then when you sit down, you make this comment. Yeah, don't take all that. Don't have an attitude of gratitude. You don't understand. You don't understand. We literally sang a song called Gratitude. Man, it's very difficult to give your best praise with a negative attitude. It's very difficult to give your best praise when you and your spouse was out in the parking lot cussing before each other out before you came in here. You really can't flip your mind that fast. It don't work like that. Whatever that negative was, you brought it in here, which is fine if you give it to Jesus. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Another word that you won't see in the text but it's prevalent, is this word called stewardship. Stewardship. Luke 15, 13 says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Stewardship. The responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. If it's worth caring for and preserving, you should steward over it. Spiritual stewardship, recognizing that everything, everybody say everything. Everybody say everything. We have and everything we are is a gift from God. And being grateful, that's that word again, and generous with those gifts. The son was given his inheritance. And God's word says that the the son squandered all of his inheritance on wild living. My mama would say he had a hole in his pocket. Like he couldn't, you know, you get a kid, you know, earn some allowance, man, they will bug you to death and take him to the store so they can spend it. Like the son is doing that and he's just spending everything. No stewardship. He didn't honor what was given to him. Stewardship. You find stewardship throughout God's word. Literally, from Genesis to Revelation, you find being a good steward. First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I had to learn this. I had to learn this concept of stewardship. Early on in my coaching career, we... I was responsible for the weight room, and we pretty much, it looked like we worked out in a closet. And when we would go visit other teams, the first thing I would do when I got off the bus was I would beeline because I want to see their weight room. I want to see what it is. Oh, God, this is embarrassing. It's huge compared to what I all want. 
I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have a bench. We don't have, oh, we have this knowledge machine. You keep moving this pen down to, I got 30 kids in this weight room and I got one bench. Oh, this is just awful. This is awful. Why would anybody want to do this? And I complained and complained and complained about what I had. And a mentor of mine gave me this book called Make the Big Time Where You Are. And basically it's about shifting your perspective. Stop complaining about what you don't have and use what you do have. And so there was a mind shift in me. I literally renewed my mind, literally renewed my mind about this closet that I was working out in. And I can remember we come in to workouts on a Monday morning and uh, there's 30 kids and like you really couldn't even stretch your arms out without touching the person next to you. You were kind of like this. And we would lock the doors. We would, there was no heat in there. So you got all this body heat these rubber mats on the floor, the kids jumping around. We in there listening to Newsboys. <laughs> Getting hype on Newsboys. Anyway, so we're working out, we're working out, and the kids are sweating, the coaches are sweating. There's a bunch of intensity in there. And you can look at the kids and you can literally see, it was so humid in there. You can literally see the evaporation coming off of their bodies going up to the ceiling and we took out the ceiling tiles and all we had were these exposed metal rafters and the exposed metal rafters began to collect this condensation that was evaporating from the kids going up and it, it would collect it and collect it until eventually it would become a drop of water that would drip down from the rafters and hit the ground and hit the ground and hit the ground literally in this little closet. Them boys are making it rain because they're working so hard. <laughs> I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. My point is I had a mind shift. I began to steward what I had. I began to sweep this little closet of a weight room. I began to wipe down this one bench that we got. I took care of what was given to me until eventually Somebody gifted the school with a blessing and they actually built a new weight room. But I had to have a mind change first. I stopped complaining about it and my kids stopped complaining about it. I was a good steward. We see the principle of stewardship throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We were given a mandate in Genesis 1.29 and it literally says, and I have given you. I have, this is God. Talking to us, I have given you every green planet's food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, we're responsible for. We're supposed to steward it. God has given it to us. And you read earlier in Genesis, that's his word called dominion. He, was, he told us to do that. He didn't tell the cows. He told the camels, he told us that anything that has life, we should steward over it. Now, I know when we think about stewardship, we all in church settings anyway, it's always around finances. But I would say, what if we would actually steward our relationships? What if we actually took care of our relationships? What if we actually protected our relationships? What if every Christian on earth stewarded Marriage. Mm. What if we actually stewarded friendships? What if we actually did what God's word told us to do? From Genesis to Revelation, the stewardship, you see it. 
Noah was given all the animals to steward. Moses was given the children of Israel to steward over. Stewardship isn't always about material possessions. I know a lot of us, when we turn 16, a lot of times you're given this first car, whether it's a new car or old knocker, it's new to you, and you steward that car. A lot of times you figure out ways to have to go wash that car. I need to go move that car. You ain't going nowhere. I just need to go and turn it on, you know, make sure it's all right. I'm, I want to steward that car. Can't nobody eat in it. Steward that car. Then over a period of time, that stewardship kind of wanes. And it's like, I don't care about it no more. What if we would actually steward everything that has life? And then lastly, the word that I would like to take us to, for us to take into 2023 Gratitude, stewardship, and then this last one. Now, the first two I said you won't see in the text of the prodigal son. You won't see this word in the text. You'll see the action, though. Let's see if you could figure it out. Luke 15, 17 through 18 says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. This word is repentance. Repentance. Repentance should be a spirit. It's not something that you do one time. Oh, no. Mm-mm. If you do, you're going to be pray. P-R-E-Y. Enemy going to get you. You've got to stay in a spirit of repentance. Why? Because we mess up. All the time. We mess up all the time. Repentance. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendments of one's life. To feel regret or contrition. To change one's mind. In the text, the prodigal son repents. God's word says he came to himself. He realized there's got to be more more to life than throwing this food to these pigs. The servants back home, eat better than this. God's word says he then returned home to his father and says, I have sinned against both heaven and you. He confesses with his mouth. There's contrition there. There's, there's, there's remorse. I had a football player that um, played defensive end. He eventually became a good football player, but it didn't start that way. Um, literally he had some bad habits and we had to break these bad habits. And before what we were teaching him became a habit, it was uncomfortable. Before it became a habit, it was inconvenient. Before it became a habit, he was extremely bad at it. Before it became a habit, it was an obstacle. Before it became a habit, it was frustrating to him. And before it became a habit, it was difficult. He played defensive end. He's got one job. Don't lose contain. Don't lose contain. You're the end man on the line of scrimmage of the defensive line. Nobody gets outside of you. That's your one job. But every time they snapped the ball, he went in. And the other team went around, and it was a touchdown. And he looked at me, and he goes, sorry, coach. Next play. Next play. He goes in. Other team goes around. Score a touchdown. He goes, sorry, coach. In practice, sorry, coach. Every rep, sorry, coach, sorry, coach, sorry, coach, sorry, coach, sorry, coach. It got to the point where sorry carries no more weight. I need change. 
the authority in his life wouldn't take sorry no more. I need you to change. That is repentance. We can all ask God to forgive us of our sins, but if you keep picking up the same thing you just prayed about, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God. That's not change. God wants repentance. 2009, there was a movie that came out called The Blind Side, starring Sandra Bullock. In this story, it was about a young man by the name of Michael Orr, didn't have a place to live. There's one scene in this movie that Sandra Bullock's character's in the car with her husband and the kids and it's raining outside and they pull up to a four-way stop. And they all look to their left and walking down the street was Big Mike, as they called him in the movie, Big Mike. Rain pummeling on him, he's carrying his shoes and he's carrying a t-shirt. The husband rolls down the, rolls down the window and says, Big Mike, where you going? Big Mike says, I'm going to the gym. Drops his head. Big Mike was walking like he was working at Dunkin' Donuts. Sandra Bullock goes, he's going where? He's going to the gym. The husband says, go ahead, Big Mike. Big Mike goes across the front. The husband turns the turn signal on and goes left. And then something changed in the movie. There were two words that were said by Sandra Bullock's character as they're riding down the street away from Big Mike. Turn around. Turn around. She turned around and she got out the car and she had a conversation with Big Mike. But here's the thing, the turn around didn't just change Big Mike's life. The turnaround changed every person's life in that car. Think about this. When you have true repentance, it doesn't just change your life. It changes everyone's life connected to you. Man, that's the glory of God. Three things today. An attitude of gratitude, stewardship, and true repentance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the prescription of your word. Lord, let us take this spiritual medicine, this spiritual vitamin. Let it, let it strengthen our immune system so we're immune to the things of this world. Heavenly Father, allow it to allow us to be a better leader, follower of Christ. Any individual in this room right now that's picking up sin and he keeps putting it down or she keeps putting it down and they keep picking it up again and keep picking it up again. Heavenly Father, allow them to have repentance. Two words, turn around. And you're right there. They ain't got to go far. They'll knock right into you. Heavenly Father, we praise you and honor you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to lead others to you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.